Welcome to the Waste Not What Not podcast. I'm Philippa Ross, human ecologist, enthusiologist, author and energy healer, bringing you inspirational interviews, news and tips to rebuild the relationship between people and the planet the way nature intended by revitalizing our natural resources, minimizing waste and maximizing human potential. I trust you discover seeds of hope for a vibrant future so you can cultivate and transform them to suit your own lifestyle in order for us to collectively create a world where reverence for the diversity of all life is honoured. You'll find all the show notes in the description and lots more about me and my work at philipparos.com. And don't forget, if you like what you hear, be sure to share far and wide. Hello, Wastebusters. Welcome to episode 33. Well, where has the month gone? We're at the tail end of Plastic Free July already. I hope you had fun finding new ways to reduce your plastic and create new habits that you can integrate from here on in. I'm winning on the bread front, well, 90% of the time anyway, as there's been the odd sunken loaf that resembled a brick. It's now time to tackle some homemade yoghurt. It's been a challenging week as I left the power lead for my laptop in a motel gazillions of miles away from home. Thankfully, it's winging its way back by post. In the meantime, I created a cry for help post on my local Facebook page, which brought two lovely people into my life who lent me a lead so I could revive my computer and edit this week's interview with Judy Cranston, who is an incredibly talented musician, singer and songwriter who's used her repertoire of skills to educate, entertain and elevate people to a place where they feel more connected to themselves. Music is a magical mechanism we can use to evolve and expand our thinking. It helps us engage with the imagination to compose anything we want and when we work collectively it amplifies all possibilities, which are the very themes that spiritual thought leader Marian Williamson is addressing in her talks around the world at the moment. A talk that I'm attending in Auckland on Tuesday next week. I'll share the juicy bits with you in next week's episode. I'll be celebrating another cycle around the sun this weekend and no doubt reflecting on experiences and ways to grow and develop from them. It's hard to believe the seed for the idea behind this podcast was sown this time last year. And here we are on episode 33, which in itself is a magical number that symbolises expansion, growth and advancement. How freaking spooky is that? While we're talking new beginnings and the power of the collective, I was thrilled to hear about the new Resonance mobile app that's been launched here in New Zealand to bring like-minded Kiwis together to create a collaborative resource-based economy with the opportunities to connect, trade and inspire one another. I'll be interviewing Ruth Copeland, one of the founders, in next week's episode. There's a link to the website and their Facebook page in the show notes. There's so much momentum gathering around new ideas to build our relationship with nature and help us understand how the intricate network of life is crucial to thrive. One such initiative is World Cruel Day, which is being launched on Thursday the 11th of August. I'll be talking to marine biologist Rodolfo Werner for a special episode. 
this leads me on to let you know that yesterday, the 28th of July, which is still today for some of you in the world, was World Nature Conservation Day, a day all about the importance of our natural resources and a reminder that we need to keep Gandhi's words in the forefront of our minds each and every day. He said, the world has enough for everyone's needs, but not everyone's greed. Every reminder and small step does make an impact, as did the petition that was delivered to New Zealand Parliament today by Lydia Chai to stop exporting plastics to developing countries and implement robust plans to reduce our own waste. Apparently, Green Party Conservation Minister Eugenie Sage thought the issue had been resolved. Larger organisations around New Zealand are also stepping up to improve the way they're handling resources. I noticed my local BP petrol station had a box outside where they leave their used ground coffee beans so people can use them to enrich their soil rather than throwing them away. And after the success of last year's plant pot recycle scheme that diverted 10 tonnes of plastic from landfill, Myla 10 have implemented a new one this year for household light bulbs with collection boxes in all 84 of their stores so the components can be repurposed into raw materials for other uses. Glass into glass wall insulation bats, aluminium and other metals are separated and recycled for industrial use and the mercury is extracted and repurposed for use in the dental industry. The latter needs to be rethought. Who in their right mind nowadays would want mercury in their mouth? They're also introducing a sustainable packaging policy which requires all supply partners to reduce unnecessary packaging and to use only materials that are home compostable or fully recyclable here in New Zealand or by 2025. There's also a surge of investment in new renewable energy production to reduce climate change and overcome the rising price of fossil fuels. Finnish researchers have installed the world's first fully working sand battery, which can store green power for months at a time. This solves the problem of year-round supply, which is a major issue for green energy. They're using low-grade sand and the device is charged up with heat, made from cheap electricity from solar or wind. The sand stores the heat at around 500 degrees centigrade, which can then warm homes in winter when energy is more expensive. Still in Europe, engineers from Dutch-Norwegian startup SolarDuck are developing huge solar panels that float on the ocean. It's all part of a pilot project being funded by German energy giant RWE to utilise the 139 million square miles of ocean space for energy generation. The first floating solar park is to be installed in waters off Ostend, Belgium and will have a peak capacity of 500 kilowatts. Panels may also be installed between turbines at a proposed offshore wind farm. If successful, they hope to commercialise it next year. A great idea. I just hope they've considered the effect it will have on marine life. Rounding off the good news this week and reiterating the power of the collective, Volunteers and about 3,000 individual homeowners and businesses have had their efforts rewarded by seeing a 51% increase of our native birds around Wellington's Miramar Peninsula, a whopping 550% in the fantail population, a 275% increase in grey warblers and a 49% increase in tui. 
The 300 cameras that service 11,000 different traps and bait stations is now capturing more activity from birds than those pesky pests. Now on to my amazing guest this week, Judy Cranston, who shares how her musical career has been an instrumental part of her personal development and how she learned to tune into the heart and soul of her being to allow the true essence of her voice to express her work in ways that has empowered adults and children to recognise their amazingness. Make sure you listen to the end of the episode to hear her latest song, Sparks of God. Welcome to the show, Judy. It's lovely to have you with me. I was trying to remember precisely when we met. It's over a decade ago, I think, and I remember you doing Kindy Rock and thinking what a fun individual you were. So it's a delight to have you with me. Thank you so much for having me. Today is the new moon. A lot of people will know it's about new beginnings and things, but it's very pertinent that it's linked to opening a space for creativity and the inner child and being able to express the playful side of us. And as I said at the beginning, you struck me as a very fun person and doing something like kindy rock, which if you could explain to the listeners, really fits beautifully. Yeah, I love to follow the guidance of the moon as well. So the new moon for me is really about being able to imagine and envision and send out all your wishes. Before Kindy Rock, I have been trained as a music teacher and have taught lots and lots of people and kids and musical instruments and in schools. And then I actually broke my knee back in 2007. So I decided to find a new thing. <laughs> and I decided to start a business called Kindy Rock. I absolutely believe music can help us to learn things Mm. and of course when children are so young using music as an educational tool is fantastic prior to this I did find that a lot of the music that was there for us was really boring and I didn't like using it so my goal was to create music and musical resources that kids loved that teachers loved and that taught something as well so that's kind of the nuts and bolts of kindy rock I've put out 10 kids albums over the past 10 years but now my focus in Kindy Rock is less about creating resources because I have a huge library and more about empowering teachers to do more music with their kids, whatever situation it is, early learning centres or libraries or special needs. And I have a program called Rock Your Music Program so people can come along for the ride and feel good about themselves, learn how to do music and realise it's not such a hard thing to use. So is Rock Your Music for children or adults? So that's an adult course oh, wow. using IP and some of my resources. But for me, it's not about you have to just use my songs. And of course, I, I love my songs and my songs are great. But it's more about here's some really cool, easy things to try. Now you can see that it's not that hard. And what else can you do with that song? Instead of just pressing play on videos, which is what teachers tend to do now. It's not videos anymore, is it? YouTube. <laughs> you know, that's where they're hiding behind the screen. So I want to pull them away from the screen and back onto the mat, interacting with children in a musical way, getting kids to present their ideas and creating music and songs and in really meaningful but educational ways as well. How does it help children and or adults grow? It's so interesting because music has got so many levels. It's like the dimensions that we talk about spiritually, but Music has the level of the lyrics, so what are they learning language-wise, what kind of words can they learn, how is it making them feel, and when we feel good and we feel that we are safe, then we are in a much better place to learn. So I always feel like I want to create a space 
for my children to feel safe and that they're having fun because when they're having fun, that's releasing dopamine in our bodies. So our little bodies can learn better when that's happening as opposed to releasing some of the other more insidious things in, in our bodies that you don't want them to, to, have, to have to go through. I feel like music just lays this beautiful platform for learning in a whole lot of ways. In fact, I've, this week I've just finished writing a blog post about how doing music with little kids can create that calmness and connection in a world of chaos thanks to COVID and how having those set little routines like just having the same song at the beginning of the day can create so much uh, safety and beauty in our little people's worlds because they're like, ah, this song, oh, I know where I am now, you know, and it's as simple as that, you know, it doesn't have to be complicated to use the power of music for all sorts of ways. And I've seen things about the power of music for the older generation and particularly those with dementia or having troubles communicating, how shut down they are. Mm -hmm. And you put a piece of music on and they come to life and there's kind of humming along and their eyes take on a whole different realm. It's phenomenal. Yeah, that's all part of the brain science that's behind music. And I love teaching about that too, but I didn't think you'd want me to get the detail. But the reality is that when we are creating brain connections, some of them stay and some of them don't, a bit like a pathway through a forest, you know. The right. more that we use a pathway through the forest, the stronger or easier it is to use the path. And what is created in our brain is called this thing called myelin, which is like tar seal, basically. So right. if you tar sealed your pathway in the forest, it's much easier to use. So what's happened in our brains is that music is a phenomenal impact on the myelin in, in our brains. So if we are learning something while music is um, happening, while we're singing or while music is playing, for instance, when we are younger and we learn daisy, daisy, and then when we are older, we can't remember who we are. But because we sung that song, it created myelin in our, in our brain. So it, it's this strong, strong connection that can't be broken. And even when we're old and we can't remember who we are, if you play Daisy, yep. your brain will light up. It'll go, I remember this. And then it will also associate the feelings that you had while mm -hmm. you were singing yep. that. So that these people are, they're feeling, oh, my gosh, I, I remember this. And this is how I used to feel when I sung that, you know, alive and awake and young and enthusiastic. So Music has just got this incredible magic to it that we are only starting to tap into, really. And then, of course, there's all the things like when we're in the stadiums and we're singing together and the feeling of all singing, you know, like that's this energetic, beautiful bond that music can create. And it's just so much more than what we keep remembering it as, you know, we have to remind ourselves over and over again that it's this beautiful thing to use. It's that memory cell that kicks in. I mean, as soon as you said stadium, I can remember seeing Queen at Wembley in London and Freddie Mercury doing, we will rock and you're all clapping and instantly transported to the middle of the mosh pit <laughs> doing my thing. And it was amazing. A lot of it's got to do with our own vibration, our soul's signature, basically. And so we resonate with certain types of music. I can't handle opera. It's too shrieky to me. It depends on the connection that you have to the music and what it inspires in you. Remember, my son was eight and he played the mini sax. He would spend hours tinkling and making up his own songs and his own lyrics and things like that. And of course, you know, being 
the traditional parents, you're wanting to do the best, so you channel them into learn music. He did actually play with a band of 70 players of all different ages and all the saxophones. It was amazing. But once he got to teenagers, it was all too boring and there was lots of interesting other things happening around. Yeah, I love the sax myself, to be quite honest. <laughs> I used to play in a band back in the day. So I left teaching in the early 2000s, maybe 2002 or three, because I wanted to be a rock star. Yeah. So I, I left teaching and yeah. said to my husband, and I want to be a rock star. And he's just been the most amazing, supportive person in my life who said, yep, you go for it, whatever your dreams are, honey. So I um, actually went and started my own band. We called it Famous Fish, and that's become the, the name of my business. So my business is called Famous Fish Music. So all my musical adventures sit under that umbrella. Why Famous Fish? Now I can see it's got a beautiful reflection, but we did it quite randomly. There's a website that's called Band Name Generators and you just keep pressing the button and it comes <laughs> up with all these kind of really random names. But we like the concept of alliteration, which is, you know, using the same letter at the beginning because it helps people to remember. And we also thought that we did want to aim for the whole corporate market. So we wanted to have a, a sleek name and, you know, being famous sort of sounded good. But now it's kind of cool because... Like I'm a Pisces, so that's the fish, and I love wow. water, and and I guess my music has um, gone all around the world, so that's kind of a little bit famous, I guess. It's a bit funny. But anyway, so back in the day when I started the band Famous Fish, one day we went into the music shop, the um, the four of us, and I was going to buy a new electric guitar, and I came out with a saxophone. <laughs> the guys in the band said to me, you look sexy with the saxophone, and so I dabbled a bit in that. I was never great, but I could play a really mean little bit of soul and blues so I always looked quite good. They used to put this, the spotlights on me with the smoke machine and I stood on the sub speaker and they would shine the light on me while I did my 10 seconds of fame. Yeah, so that was quite fun. Wow. So what musical instruments do you play? Well, I started off with piano. I remember wanting to learn from an early age, but my parents were not wealthy, but I learnt more seriously from about 10. And then when I was at primary school somewhere, I can't remember, Dominion Road, I think. They had one of those music schools on Saturday and I went along and learned trumpet. Oh, wow. And then I taught myself ukulele in Form 1 and guitar in Form 2. And then when I went to Auckland Girls Grammar, I wanted to learn the flute. But you weren't allowed to learn the flute unless you had learned the violin because we had this cranky old music teacher, bless her cotton socks. So I learned violin and then I learned flute. And then by that stage, I had realised that I was actually quite good at picking up anything. So in the sixth form, no, we didn't have an oboe player, so they threw that at me. And then I went to training college and I did this fantastic degree, which was called a music education degree. Hmm. So it was made for teachers who were going to go into secondary school. So the sort of skills you needed which were to be able to play A or C on any instrument. So we actually went through and learned everything. And we learned brass. So I've played in brass bands, French horn, baritone. And we learned well, all the strings, a cello and all that. And, you know, basically I, I pretty much can play anything, not necessarily well, but now my main things that I use in my industry are my piano. I've got three keyboards sitting in this office and my ukulele is my sort of little theme thing that I use in country rock stuff as well, yeah. So, you know, I've still got my saxophone. It's a little bit dusty and not very well loved, but I pull it out occasionally. Do you have a favourite <laughs> instrument? Maybe to play and then your favourite to listen to? My favourite instrument to play is the piano. It just feels like it flows off me. And as a kid, my piano was my best friend. I was such a shy little kid. 
I remember just sitting, coming home from school and just playing for hours at the piano. I feel like there's a bit of a bond. I've got a beautiful story if you have time about my Yeah, I'd love to hear it. So when I was about 16, I was um, getting into the higher grades. So you go up to grade six, seven, eight in piano, and then you do your letters. So I was getting it right really serious and having to practice properly for a couple of hours a day. And we had a really old cranky piano. So my mum bought me a new piano. Well, it wasn't new, but it was a beautiful piano, uh, English piano, and it was a challenge. And then I got married really young and left home at 19. And so my piano stayed with my mother, unfortunately. And then mum passed away 20 years ago and the piano ended up with her sister, which was my auntie. Mm. And I was quite upset that we got there. Just recently, my auntie passed, like literally only a couple of months ago, and the piano's come back home. I just did a tune yesterday, which feels very much like here I am back with my beautiful piano that I loved so much as a child. And having it tuned is just like this beautiful reflection of where I am and where I want to sit with my music and how I want to be tuned to the voice of spirit for all the work I do, which is kind of brings into the new stuff that I'm doing now. Yeah, so that's my beautiful piano story. (laughs) So that's the favourite thing I like to play. Mm. Some people can just play an instrument um, because my half-sister, she's a music teacher too. I'm totally in it. She plays the French horn and the piano, but she can't sing. And you have all these fantastic gifts. I believe you used to sing in the choir as a very young child. Well, my mum was quite musical. I suppose she never sort of got beyond the church stuff, but she sang in the Women's Institute choirs back when I was little. And I was the youngest, so I remember going to watch her as a very young child in the choir, and I'd just be absolutely spellbound by the choirs. And I love choral music. I think that's my favourite genre to listen to. I've never felt like I had a good voice or anything. It's so melodic. Yeah, I don't know beautiful and the harmonies <laughs> are fantastic thank you so much when I started my band I had a very big goal that I wanted to become good enough so I could be like the lead singer rather than just singing in the background and I could always do harmonies and stuff really easily you know I think I've just been really blessed but I feel like music just flows through me like it's part of me it's, it's who I am and I hear things all the time. Sometimes somebody would just say a sentence and it turns into a song in my voice and then I can't get it out of my head for the next two days or whatever. But it is definitely a big part of who I am. But that's not to say that we can't develop those skills, you know. I truly believe that music is a skill as well that we just need to practice if we want to get better at things. And so I remarried 22 years ago and and my new husband has no musical bone in his body, <laughs> that saying. But um, he came along to the band when we started getting famous and got lighting, and he couldn't clap in time or anything, but he got lighting and he started to tap the lights in time to the music and he developed a sense of rhythm. And the other thing is that we decided to do a Blues Brothers show, so he taught himself harmonica and then jumped on stage. He's quite good on stage. He's a bit of an actor. <laughs> but he jumped on stage. He became part of the show. So even though he wasn't really musical, he actually developed that through um, sheer grit. Yeah, so I think you can develop that. Um, You just have to decide that's what you want to do. Well, I get a huge part of it is going to be the connection to you and what you're putting out and things. So how did your journey through music evolve to a more spiritual one that you're involved in now? Mm, It's really interesting. I mean, when I was little, I used to go to church and... We used to play in church, play the piano. I played the organ from about 12 because nobody else could, so they said, oh, well, you try and figure it out, so I did. 
Wow. Um, which is really interesting because you have to, you know, you have to use your feet and your hands. So, you know, I've been playing in church since I was young, but when my first husband left, which was 25 years ago, I was, it was really, really traumatic for me. I was hidden away in the church world right. and I was very shy. I, I felt like I didn't really know who I was, even though I didn't know that I didn't know who I was until I started to realize that there was way more to this Judy Cranston person. So that marriage breaking up and then I left the church because it just didn't feel like I could fit in because all of the people in my life were church people. And so it was a really, really difficult time of my life. But I did. I had to step away from the church. And in doing that over a period of probably 10 years of me realizing that I'm not saying there's no God, but I had to find what that meant for me. And I did. And funnily, I live in Kawakawa Bay, which is this tiny, tiny seaside village out of Auckland. We have about 200 people and we have a library the size of a, a toilet. <laughs> so one day I went to the library and I got this book out by Elizabeth McGowan, I think her name is, something like that. And it was about the bloodline of Jesus. And it was just incredible, like this whole thought that Jesus could be somebody different and that Jesus could have, I'm not trying to have an argument about whether he had kids or not, but the whole realisation that maybe there's another aspect to this than, than I realised. So that sort of started me off on this. It was a very singular, it was all by myself. There was nobody to talk to about this, but I sort of got to the point where I thought, actually, you know, I remember saying to a friend up north once, you know what? I think Jesus was alive and he was just this really good guy, you know, and then realizing, well, if he was a good guy, then what else is out there? And um, so I, I guess I just found the way back to God by myself. And to me doing it that way, it feels so much truer because it's my journey and I found it how I wanted to find it. And nobody told me you have to do this or that. And I guess there's been parts of the little Judy Cranston that have gone, oh, but you're supposed to do it this way. And I still struggle a little bit with supposed to's. Yeah. We probably all do. But now I have a deep, deep knowing. I know there is a whatever we want to call it, and I don't mind what you call it. You can call it whatever you want. Sometimes yeah. I call it spirit. It just feels like that God sometimes have connotations. But sometimes I call it God. In fact, my next song that's coming out is called Sparks of God. My husband's like, oh, you can't call it God. You can't say that in the name of a song. Everyone will think it's religious. But to me, it's coming back to the knowing that we are all connected, that we all have the essence of God or spirit or whatever you want to call that running through us. And we are all here as a soul having a human journey. You know, that's taken me a long time to say that. And I appreciate completely that some people will not understand or not get or not agree and that's fine. Yeah. I feel like I'm really able to understand people on different levels because I've come from the church experience and I've had that, I don't want to say indoctrination because it's not like that, but that learning, you know, that was part of my life and who I was back well, then. Well, it's one way or the other. So, and um, I can empathise greatly with you because I went to a convent from the age of 13. Probably more to do with the fact it was the only school that would accept me because I failed the exam into some other schools. And actually, there was one nice nun, but really, so far as the way that Christians are portrayed to be nice people, <laughs> they weren't terribly kind. And it put me off the word God, because, you know, you have to fit in this box. And I'm an out-the-box person. I don't like to be told what to do, never have, never will. So to actually say the word God, like the way that you're intonating it, well, that's the way that I'm interpreting it. 
is being hard journey for me to say the word God without it having a religious connotation that you are a certain type of people. So now in my own infinite way, I've transposed it to actually mean, because I love acronyms, guide of direction. And I, my God, is the energy, the spark of God that you're talking about, which is the light, the photons that we're actually made up of. I remember a girlfriend giving me Neil Donald Walsh's book, Conversations with God. It took me 10 years to get around to actually read it because... It had the word God in it, for goodness sake. And it's, as you say, it's so much easier when you're the other side and work stuff out for yourself. You don't have to accept some man in the clouds with a white beard. It's just a way the story has been portrayed over the years. And it's up to you to create your own story. And I love the essence of your songs and your journey because... Oh, you just meld into the music. I like melodies, so I don't necessarily listen to the lyrics, but I love the lyrics of your song because they really capture you. So with the spiritual side of things, you also are doing something called esoteric hypnotherapy. Can you enlighten me as to what that is? Because I know a bit about hypnotherapy, but the esoteric side sounds fascinating. The whole story to that is so interesting because I just read this book called The Surrender Experiment. It's just fallen out of my head who's written it, but it's this gorgeous book, which I love. The concept being this hippie dude who decides that he's just basically going to let life flow. He's going to say yes to life. And so I thought, I actually wrote it down. I found it recently in June. It was June last, into 2021. I wrote it down. I'm going to do the surrender experiment for two months and see what happens. And in my inbox, not long after that, was an invitation to to train as an esoteric hypnotherapy with a beautiful woman called Franchella. I'm sorry, I don't even know how to say her last name, which is awful, but she's this incredible lady who lives in New Zealand and has done a huge amount of spiritual work, shamanic work. Um, So anyway, this came and I thought, well, I have to say yes because I'm doing the surrender experiment. So I put my application in thinking there's no way she's going to choose me. You know, I'm just Mrs. Kindy Rock. You know, I'm not like all of the other people that she has in her world. Anyway, she accepted me. (laughs) So I trained in November 2021 as esoteric hypnotherapy. It's a beautiful body of work that she has created, which is based on the ancient temples of Egypt from 12,000 years ago and the way they used to heal people. And recognizing that even though we may have minds and personalities, we are in essence a soul and is at the soul level that we need our deepest healing. She said to me, it was quite funny because there was 25 people. We did it on Zoom, which is kind of weird in itself, but it's but it's perfect. She said to me all the way through, are you okay, Judy? Are you okay? Because I was obviously, you know, not spiritual like all the other people. And all these people had done years of study with Franchella and shamanic courses, you know, and all sorts of courses with her. And except for the, the 25th person, Judy Cranston, who is a kindy rock person. So all the way through, she kept going, are you okay? Are you okay? You know, but I fell into it. And she said to me later, you fell into it like a duck taking to water. And it's like, this is this inside of me, this inside person of me is saying, there's so much more to me. Let me out, let me out, let me out. And so one of the things that we learn to do is to speak in this, you can hear it and I can feel it, but we speak from our soul. We speak from our heart, you know, as opposed to Speaking from my head, which sounds so different, but when I speak from my heart, this is gentle, wise voice. 
Yeah, so that's what that's about. So we take our clients through a nine-week process. It is something you have to commit to, and that's kind of difficult because in these day and age, there's so many people who just do one-off sessions, you know, in healing or whatever. Basically, we are communicating with our clients' souls and we are taking them to places in their life when they had experiences that have changed the trajectory of who they are now. And it may not be a pleasant experience. They may not even remember it, but um, sometimes we work in past lives as well. And and all of this is just incredible that Judy Cranston from Kindy Rock can be doing this. And sometimes when I'm doing my work, I'm like, whoa, it still feels like I'm this little girl looking at the sidelines going, oh my God, look at that. Isn't it interesting how you were saying as a small child, you were very, you didn't use these words, kept yourself to yourself, insular kind of thing. Mm -hmm. But given the gift of being able to play and to sing it, and you come to this point in your journey and it's opened your heart, which Mm -hmm. is a way to express yourself, which is really what... I, you know, the way that I introduced you, it's awakening the voice that wants to be heard and the realisation mm. that we are so much more than society mm. has allowed us to say that we are because we're measuring ourselves against what we're supposed to be and what we've achieved and so on and so forth. For me, a huge part of the podcast is to recognise the diversity of everybody's value and you know you can't put people in a box and early influences do make an impact later if we allow ourselves to open and you know Mm. the way that nature is churning at the moment we're losing a lot of organisms animals and things and parts of the marine life and it's the biodiversity of life that actually enriches it within nature but as we are a part of it it is recognizing that we too, however small it is, it could be somebody's really good at smiling. It's not a major. And I think the pressure in this world is to have a purpose and it needs to be about changing the world. And that purpose could be to be happy, to be a great parent, to be present in the time, to be inspire people with music. It doesn't have to be world changing because collectively that's why we there is a diversity we actually add value to the greater good of all Mm, that's right i absolutely believe that it's kind of like the lyrics to the next soul ep that i'm putting out is called awaken and it's basically saying i want my song to awaken the song in you and i want your song to awaken the song in me it's not just me here saying, woohoo, look at me, I'm such a good singer, you know, listen to this. But it's me acknowledging that your words and your life and your story and your presence in my life is just as important as my presence in your life. One of my earlier guests, David Martin, he was talking on the microcosmic level. In essence, he was saying that our individual value in itself When we come together, it doesn't make us less than. It brings out something that creates a bigger version of ourselves. Yeah, yeah. I think that's what we are missing because we are so wanting to be heard. There's this battle to be competitive and be the ego to win, to succeed, that knocks everybody else out of the park rather than, you know, in music is a prime example When you're creating a harmony, if a note is missing or somebody's off whack in an orchestra, 
you notice the difference. And when it's together, like you were saying in the stadium, it really opens everyone's hearts and you just let go completely and, and you're in sync with everything and life. Uh, it sort of just reminded me as well as, I mean, I, I dabble a little in astrology and I don't really know that much about it, but the whole Piscean age, which is like the last 2,000 years, has been very about finding God through the priests and stuff. So finding out about who we are by somebody else who's at the top of the pyramid as such. But now it's not. It's about finding our own way. And I just had this big aha while you were speaking and it's kind of fallen out of my head. But it's about if we could teach our children from a very young age that we are not actually just a body, that we're not just a mind, that we're not just an ego, but we are a soul and yep. finding the soul of our children from the, that very age instead of this whole human, it's all about being a human, blah, blah, blah. I, I wonder what life will look like in another wee world because this is a path we're on. It is for all of us to realise that we are the soul inside this beautiful body called Judy Cranston or Philippa Ross or whoever. It's coming. You, you can feel that life is changing and thoughts are changing and energy, you know, people are understanding more about energy like you're saying and protons and everything so it may not happen in our lifetime but it's definitely definitely coming yeah when you were talking about the planets with the astrology and things it's the era that we are in being the age of Aquarius as well it's interesting that it's still linked to your fish <laughs> and it's water oh, a couple of weeks ago the podcast it was with a woman whose life was changed because of the whales so Halliwell actually the essence of what we are without water there is no life to go with that flow the lesson within the water element is actually to let go and just let it allow to come out in yeah, is that's right. or a person that has really influenced you over your life well I did want to say Oprah she came to New Zealand and for some reason I went to see her it wasn't that long ago but it was probably maybe eight years ago and one of the things she said about how when you're going along in life and life presents like a, a pebble in the way and you kick your toe and then you ignore it and then so you carry on down your path and then I think she said virtually God puts a, a brick in your way and, and you, you kind of kick your toe and it hurts a bit more but you ignore it and then you keep ignoring these things that get getting bigger and bigger until you stop and you can't go any further because there's a brick wall. I really stop and listen to that now. I go and kick my toe or bang my elbow or something happens and then it happens again. I'm like, okay, what's the lesson? What's yeah. the lesson now? What do I need to know? And I actually put that in the line of Sparks of God in my song. It doesn't really matter if it's rocks or stones or boulders. And that's exactly what she said. So yeah. it's like she's inserted into my song. What well, All that really matters is who we truly are. We are Sparks of God. So I want to say her, but I also definitely have to go back to a music teacher. I wanted to be a mathematician because I loved math so much. When my crabby old music teacher from high school had a whole turn off for mental health reasons, uh, we had this gorgeous uh, relief teacher for a whole term called Miss McCracken, and she just brought music to life for me and made me realise this is what it's supposed to be about. And I decided to be a music teacher from here, her. So I, I guess I'm going to really have to say her. Wow. Oh, she's wow. put me on a trajectory. Yeah. And is yeah. she aware of yeah. it at all? She didn't know I was doing kinder rock, no. She actually came to my first wedding and she gave us, you know, those soup terrines with the handle. So I've still yeah. got two of those. And so I think of her a lot. Making sure that your musical experiences have meaning and that's what changed my life. 
And I'm sure many of the children and adults that you have been a part of their lives, they will think the same of you as well for lifting their lives up. Thank you. you. I hope so, yeah. yeah well, it does make a huge difference, and I can appreciate that. Going to a convent as well, they were so staunch and boring that I took time hiding behind curtains and in the um, vault box when we were doing gymnastics because it was so boring. <laughs> we were the naughty class anyway. Is there a quote or something that inspired you to keep going? Yeah, I'm not so sure it's a quote as much as a phrase, which is that I'm amazing. and. I love to say that to other people as well. So I often end my courses or anything and I tell people they have to repeat after me, I'm amazing because, you know, when I started to take ownership of that for me, it made a big change to what I did in my world. So I wrote a little affirmation. I've written music affirmations as well, but one of them's called I'm Amazing. So you can look that one up. It's actually quite hard to say, isn't it? There's something in the back of the mind, you're being bumptious in saying that you're good Mm. so where did you learn that from I went along to a personal development course maybe six or seven years ago run by a South African man called Robin Banks and he was teaching mind power and using positive words and affirmations like he was quite like me on stage like woohoo yeah and he did this little song about wake alert and amazing or something or other and I went away and realized I believe in the power of music I believe in the power of the word. I believe in the power of affirmations. So that's when I started to write some music affirmations. So I wrote, I am amazing music affirmation because I wanted to believe that I was amazing. If I can believe that, then I can help other people believe it as well. You know, it's not much point trying to get people to believe something you don't believe yourself. And I was doing some course once and I remember coming, I was standing in the middle of people telling them something and it just had this like crash of thunderbolt and lightning in my brain that said, holy crap, Judy Cranston, you're amazing. You know, I took it on, like it became me. And I'm not saying that because I think I'm better than anyone, but it's like, I just believe it in here. I know I'm a spark of God. I know I've got the thread of God running through me. How freaking amazing is that? Yeah. It's the authenticity that everything fits and is effortless and flows like the water. Fantastic. So what do you do when you're not feeling amazing and you're feeling in a funk? How do you get yourself out of it? (laughs) Well, I think I'm going to have to say. Music. (laughs) Music, yeah. Yeah, sometimes when I'm driving along and feel a bit grumpy, I actually put one of my own CDs in and just sing along to, you know, one of my kids' CDs. Sit on the mat and clap or whatever, which is one of my most famous songs. <laughs> but yeah, music does do it, of course. But I think I'm now at the point where I less worry about the funk because I realise that there are times in our world when we need to have that funk. In fact, I just wrote this thing. I wish that I brought it with me, thinking about the winter and how we've been sick, all of us. And and it was like, I love the winter time because it's when the soul can do its thing. So I'm not as worried about funk maybe than I used to be before. I'm sorry if I turned your question upside down. <laughs> it actually fits into it because it is a seasonal thing. And then it is important to recognize, like music, we all have a rhythm. And some people love winter and other people don't. 
I like anything that has lots of light and sunshine. It doesn't need to be cooking hot, but it could be something to do with the fact that I was born at the end of July in England in the summer there. So who knows if that's got something to do with it. But then it's also accepting that within nature, whilst nothing seems to be happening, there's some amazing things harvesting underneath. We just need to be patient. And patience is not one of my fortes. And also, you know, we're programmed to think that we need to be doing, doing, doing. And so winter sitting on your ass and not doing is not very easy to swallow. Yeah, that's right. Well, I've been not doing anything. Chatting to you is the first real work. You call it work, not. I've done in five weeks. I'm sure there's been some amazing things happening inside while I've been not doing much. Yes, it's not till a certain time till they're starting to bloom do we actually recognise it. So if I was your fairy godmother and could grant you one wish to change something in the world, what would it be and why? I feel like I want two wishes. I think the first one, just like more on the upper level, is that people can all feel amazing about themselves and find ways and understand that we're all amazing. But the second thing, which kind of leads to it, is for everybody to really be able to hear the voice of their soul and to know that part and that they are a soul on this beautiful human journey and to be curious about what that means and to have fun with that. Absolutely. They're missing because we take ourselves far too seriously trying to be something that somebody else wants us to be rather than (laughs) letting going and expressing the true essence of who we are. So to round it off then, is there a one thing that you would like the listeners to take away from today's show? Thank you. Yeah, I just ask that you be open to realising that everything is there for us to grow with, to learn with and to love with. Just being open to life, being open to everything. That's what I'd like to say. Beautiful. Thank you, Judy. It's been an absolute pleasure. Take care. Namaste. Thank you for having me. It never ceases to amaze me how the intricate interventions all my guests experience takes them on a path that brings out the best in them and serves the greater good of all. Since recording the interview, Judy has reached a mega milestone with 10 million downloads on Kindy Rock. Congratulations, Judy. Be sure to check out all her links in the show notes to appreciate the extent of her amazing work and fabulous resources. Next week, I'm talking to Ruth Copeland, one of the founders of the New Resonance app that's bringing people together who are all singing from the same song sheet so we can support one another with skills and services to shift our economy to a collaborative collective for the greater good of all. Remember to crank up the music, sing your heart out and allow your soul to shine. I'll leave you with one of Judy's beautiful songs, Sparks of God. So until next week, dig deep. Open your mind to a world of possibilities, live life with a generous heart and take steps to minimise waste and maximise your own potential.